road and thank you, Dorothy. Take your Bible tonight and turn to the book of Acts, please, chapter 2. In the post-Easter season, of course, we think about the appearances of the Lord Jesus Christ among his apostles and uh, more than 500 who had witnessed the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're moving on toward the day of Pentecost, which is the great birthday of the church, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the new birth, which changed men's lives and made them stalwart, bold, and gave them that which has made possible the ministry that is still resident in our midst in this time. In Acts chapter 2, of course, you have the record of the original outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the new birth. And in verse 41, at the close of Peter's message on that tremendous day, it says, And they that gladly received the word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them, unto the twelve apostles who were the only ones filled with the Holy Spirit that morning or that day of the Pentecost, there were added to those twelve about three thousand souls. Then they that gladly received the word. There are some people who receive the word, but it's never gladly. And in those people, the word never gels. The word never crystallizes. It never really becomes a part of them and does anything to them or for them. The word receive is the word decomide. Those who gladly decomide subjectively receive. And it, it's receiving it with gladness. I am confident that people like you who come here Sunday after Sunday, many of you drive great distances to be here. Others of our people who hear the teaching ministry and the joy that's here on the tapes that are sent around the country and foreign countries. I think that just the presence here and being involved with the people is a, a, a joy to you. You come here and when the word lives abundantly, it brings a gladness in your heart. And when that word is taught, when it's spoken, it, it just tickles you to death. It just makes you effervesce in glory within. And you receive this word with gladness. This is why this is the easiest teaching place in the world. There is no other place in the whole world where the teaching ministry is as simple and as easy and such a great joy as it is here at the Way Biblical Research Center headquarters. Those people that day who gladly received the word were baptized. It doesn't say water. So some people like to get water in there what's their privilege. But it doesn't say it. So if you work on it a while. But the important thing is that they received. They subjectively received the word with gladness. And there were added about 3,000 souls. That must have been a tremendous day. And I tell you, those 3,000 souls were not added because Peter was reluctant in speaking the accuracy of God's word. That he was hesitant, afraid he might step on somebody's tootsies and hurt their corns. He was not afraid of what this denomination or that group per said. I tell you, Peter, that day when he walked out of that place, or walked in that place filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, something had happened to him. He knew it. And he knew that he could speak with boldness, and he spoke with boldness. And that day the Lord added about 3,000 souls. That was just the stuff. 
And it says, verse 42, those 3,000, they continued steadfastly. You know what steadfast means? Stay put. You don't blow hot for the Lord one minute and colder in a cucumber the next. Ma'am, you're either on or off. These people, they stayed steadfast. Steadfast. They stayed put. Had these early apostles not stayed put on the word of God and the men and women of that time really taken a decision for the greatness of God's word, we wouldn't have it today. They stayed steadfast. There are people that have stood with us in this way ministry for 20, 25 years now. Never budged on it. And I can remember the time when I couldn't get three people to listen to me. I'd teach, I'd, I'd announce where I was teaching or we'd open for a Bible study and you couldn't get three people. The only people I could get was Rhoda. She was being paid at the time and my wife, she couldn't help but come. <laughs> We've gone through some of this, haven't we, Rhoda? That's right. And so, to find men and women that down through the years have checked out the accuracy of God's word and have stayed steadfast, that's the job. The summer, you could see tonight from what Captain Somerville said, when these boys are going to be here in summer school, we're going to have a summer school that's par excellence, spiritually. It's going to be right up there. Where? Because we're not only going to gel the word, but we're going to gel it with boldness. We're going to have discipline. We're going to walk in the greatness of this thing. And we're going to develop the steadfastness to it. They were steadfast in the apostles' doctrine in fellowship. And I always think of this when I read fellowship because I'm sure that my brother Harry is always pushing fellowship. He always says, and I've heard others of our grads say at the close of the classes, like Reverend George finished on Friday night of this week, stay in the fellowship. Stay with people who are walking on the word and gelling the word. Stay with people who are moving. Because if you don't stay in the fellowship, you're going to get cold. They walk in fellowship. Even in breaking of bread. You know what that means? They fellowship together to the end where they ate together. They got, I suppose, potluck, carrions or something. But anyways, that's what they did. And they fellowshiped in prayers. Verse 43. And fear, awe, reverence, respect came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by whom? The apostles. It doesn't say that it, they were done by God. It says they were done by whom? The apostles. Now, the, for the people who do not like this, they've just got to rewrite the word and tell God he made a mistake. God didn't make a mistake as far as I'm concerned. The signs, the miracles, and the wonders were wrought by the apostles, by their believing by their boldness, with the power of God that was in them because they were born again of God's Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. And today, if we're going to get men and women taught in the accuracy of God's Word, if we're going to get the Word of God out, 
We're going to have to do it with boldness. And we're going to have to believe God for signs, for miracles and wonders to be wrought under our hands as we minister the greatness of God's word. We've got to expect the happening. You got that chorus, expect a miracle? Were you just thinking that guy? Expect a miracle every day. Expect a miracle. And I believe perhaps we ought to increase it a little bit. Why wait a whole day? Thanks. That's right. <laughs> I like what John said yesterday when he said, I'd get back to these uh, off the front lines, you know, and we'd get back here in a little quiet respite place where we could take a bath or do something. Then I'd meet with some Christians again, and immediately I'd ask them only one question. Well, what's God do for you? If God hasn't done anything for you today, you're slipping. Amen. Uh, because God's alive. God's vital. He's a reality. And if we have to go by the illustrations that we have to pick where God did something three years ago and utilize that tonight, there's something wrong. We might be able to utilize it. But I'm trying to say God had to do something for us this week. Today. Every major denomination today that it is the, a socialistic kind of Christianity that the original boys had. That's not true. It was not a communistic type of thing. These people believe God. Communism believes in the wrong God. Manifests the wrong one. They say they don't believe in any. Well, there are only two. You've got to believe in one or the other and work for one or the other. That's right. But this says they had all things in common. And it's very simple. To have all things in common among the believers simply means that those who had more than what they needed, they sold their plurality. That's all. Once they got rid of their plurality, then they had what they commonly needed. Danny had what he commonly needed. Danny had what he commonly needed. Mrs. Brown had what she commonly needed. This was why they had all things common. They were down to that common denominator where they had their need met, but they were out of the plurality category. In other words, if they had three farms, they only needed one, they sold two. That's what the word says, that's what it means. You ought to read that little booklet. What's the title of it? I wrote it a long time ago. Amateen. Would you know, Peter, first century church in the 20th, are they something like that, where I have just systematically changed, uh, challenged all of this greatness of this word in the light of the whole word. The 20th century church compared with the first century church. They had all things common. As it says in verse 45, they sold their what? Possessions, their plurality. It's got an S on it. And their goods, it has an S on it. And they parted them. As every man had need. And they, verse 46, continuing daily with one accord, with unity of the same unity among the body, in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, and did eat their bread, 
with gladness and singleness of heart. Singleness of heart means undivided loyalty. That's its usage. Because verse 42 says they continued what? Steadfastly. If you're going to be steadfast, you're going to have undivided loyalty. Else you will not be steadfast. You can't be loyal to the census world one minute and loyal to the greatness of God's word the next. Divided one. Well, verse 47. Praising who? God. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. Uh, it doesn't mean favor with all the unbelievers in the community. Favor with the people of God who were believing, who were having all things in common. They were really living it up. And the Lord, look at it, the Lord added to what? The church. Who does the adding? The Lord. But the Lord can't add unless he has men and women who will boldly declare the word and hold the word for it, right? Who did the signs, the miracles, and the wonders, and as the men carried out their job, the Lord carried out his by adding to the church daily. Oh, that's something. Not once every six months we have a new membership campaign and we take in 16 after we catechize them or something. Daily, such as should be saved. And the, the, the text should be saved reads, those that were being saved. The Lord added to the church daily those that were being saved. He added them. And then Peter and John went up together to the temple. At the hour of prayer being the ninth what? Hour, about three o'clock. In the afternoon, our time. And a certain man, I've always thought about this. You do not have his name. Just a certain what? Man. One of the greatest truths in God's word set here for the early church, just so that the church of the 20th century might hear it. Yet, the man is not named. We don't know if it was John Doe or Henry Smith. I know it wasn't Victor Paul. But who it was, I don't know. You see, the reason I like this is because God is no respecter of person. And what he did then, he's able to do again and again. It's just a certain man. This puts it in the category where it could apply to every individual believer, any place, anywhere, anytime, because he was just a what? Certain man who was lame from his mother's womb. He was lame, born this way. He was born lame, lame from his mother's womb. Whom they laid daily. They carried him and laid him daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. They didn't lay him at the gate of the temple because he was poverty stricken. Because he needed money to live on. In the context of the story and understanding the culture and the background, this man was born in a family that you would refer to as a family of prestige, a family of culture, a family that had material means. And it was their boy. And they took him 
and laid him at the gate of the temple. The significance is, laying him at the gate of the temple was the temple was the place where God was to meet his people, and therefore they laid him there hoping that someday, somewhere, somehow, God would meet the need of that boy. Which by this time, of course, is the man that we're going to read about as the story goes on. Who's seeing? Oh, the reason he was asking alms is simply an indication of humility. That's the only reason for it. He didn't need the money. But he was asking alms, indicating that he wanted to be humble, that he needed help. The man didn't need money, he needed healing. Because he came from the factory, incapacitated, lame from his mother's womb. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. Look on us. You have to get a man's attention to the word of God that dwells in you if you're ever going to teach him God's word. You cannot say to that man, I will pick up Reader's Digest or Life or Look or Time. You've got to say to that man, Here, look at this. You've got to get that man or that woman's attention if you're going to teach them God's word. If you're going to help them, set them free, you've got to get their attention. And Peter simply said, look at us. Look up here. Quit looking down in the can. Look up here. Look at us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to Lombano to manifest something. Of them. But Peter. Verse 6. Peter said. Silver and gold have I what? None. <laughs> that means Peter was poverty stricken. No. He just forgot to bring his wallet maybe or something. I don't know. Uh, just because you haven't got a hundred dollars in your pocket. Doesn't mean you're poverty stricken. He just said silver and gold. Enough. You see, as long as you have a place to go where there's plenty of it, it doesn't make a difference whether you ever got it right at that time because it's always available to you. Remember we were talking about Paul's statement? He knew how to be abased and all this stuff. But he said, in whatever situation I am, I'm always self-what? Adequate. Peter said, well, silver and gold, I haven't got. Just haven't got it right now. But I've got something better. Listen to it. But such as I have, I give thee. Such as I have, give I thee. You can't give anything if you haven't got it. So the first thing we have to do in our own life is to get the greatness of the word to live within us. You've got to learn the word to the end that you really know it. Because you can't give it away if you haven't got it. I don't know how many of you people be left after the first week of summer school. But I hope few of you stick around. Uh, you see, it's a foot that I'm going to make you memorize every verse of scripture in the foundational class. To be able to quote it. And give me the verse and its location in the Bible. We're going to do some discipline on memorization this summer. I hope some of you stick around the place. Uh, because we're going to teach you the art of memorizing. 
and make you do it. All right? If this word of God dwells within you, it's always at your fingertips. But how many, many times we have to look all over and say, well, I know that's in the Bible, but wait till I get my concordance out. Let's see, uh, God so loved. Where world is it? Oh, yeah. Then I get my concordance out, and ten minutes later I find out it's in John 3, 16. Well, if you memorized it and knew it was John 3, 16, then when you're asked to say something, like John said tonight about Hebrews, he knew where the verse is, he knew what it said. It's at your fingertips. You should have a hundred or two hundred verses of scripture at your fingertips like this that could be brought to your remembrance immediately, whenever they're needed. And you'd be surprised how efficaciously God utilizes these things in your life if you know them. Such as I have, give I thee. Then he made a statement. He didn't lecture him. He didn't complain about his dad and mother. He didn't even ask him to come to the believers meeting next year Thursday night. He simply said, such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ, do what? Rise up and do what? It's impossible. Why? Because he came from his mother's womb, lame. Born lame. Now, how in the world is he going to walk when he was born lame. You see, someplace in here it says how old this fellow was. Where is that? Chapter 4, isn't it? For the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was what? I think most people think he was just a kid. Just a child. He wasn't. He was an adult. He was over 40 years of age. He had been born how? Lame. Ladies and gentlemen, how much believing faith would you have left if you had been lame for 40 years? If you in some category had in, been incapacitated for 40 years, how much believing would you have for God to heal you after 40 years? Some of us have a problem after one day. One week, month experientially, right? This man was above 40 years old. And Peter said to him, such as I have, I'll give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And you know what the fellow says? Oh, he said, God is dead. This healing went out with the apostles of the Old Testament. Oh, I just can't do it. Because after all, I've been in this condition for 40 years. And if you're born this way, you and all the best specialists have ever worked on you, there's just no way. No, that's not what he said. You put yourself in the place of this man and you begin to see that boy had something going for himself. It was really something. Such as I have, I give you the name of Jesus Christ. Get up. And you know what the man did? Well, first see what he did, Peter did. <laughs> he took him by the right hand and lifted up. And immediately, pronto, right away, bumps quick. His feet and ankle bones received what? You bet your life. 
and he, the man, leaping, stood and what? Walked. Boy, oh boy. And then he entered with them in the temple, and when he walked in, he was walking and leaping and praising God. Hey, he was a little shook, wasn't he? A little excited? We certainly couldn't have had him in any of our orthodox organized churches. He would have disrupted the ritual, you know. Imagine coming into my dignified church, leaping and shouting, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. They'd wonder what Pentecostal assembly group he was inoculated in or something. They'd say, man, that fellow's off. Maybe this is why nothing ever basically happens except that we die. Because nobody gets excited. Oh boy, you've got to get excited. If you've got a product that works, you can't sell it unless you get excited. And if you've got a product that works, you ought to be excited. So you did sell it. Well, people, nothing works like the Word of God. That's the greatest thing in the world. You get excited about it. I get so warmed up over the greatness of the things that happened. Like tonight when we were singing. Tonight when our people were praying. When Captain Somerville was speaking. I get so warm. I wish they'd quit so I could get to the Word or something. You sometimes can hardly get. Because it's so good. And it just brings joy and rejoicing to a person's heart. Oh, it just... Well, if they don't like my excitement, it's just too bad. They ought to get what I got. They'd get excited too, you see. That's right. This man, after 40 years or over 40 years old, he got delivered. He had something to be excited about, and he manifested. He just praised the Lord. He leaped. He walked with the apostles right into the old temple. Oh, oh, God. And the people saw him. Walking and praising whom? God. Who did the miracle? The apostles. But who got the praise and the glory? That's the way it ought to be. And that's the way it is. When you walk on the word of God. And know that word and declare it. You do the work by the power of God that's in you. And God gets the glory. Sure. Verse 10. And they in the temple knew. That it was he which sought for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement. Their eyeballs fell out. That's right. Or they got big as hen's eggs or goose eggs or something. Because here's this man over 40 years of age. They brought him to the temple gate. How often? Daily. Daily. Who knew him? Boy, oh boy. So when they saw him leaping, praising God, walking in that old temple, they really got shook. They were filled with wonder, with amazement at that which had happened unto him. As the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, the word held is stayed by their side or accompanied them. All the people ran together. In the porch, it's called Solomon, greatly what? Wandering. When Peter saw it, how he changed. He answered unto the people, 
God said to all Peter by revelation, now I want you to speak the word. That's what he said to Peter. You know what he said? He men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we made this man to us? And yet, in the verses before, it said that they were the ones who made him to walk, right? Sure they did. But it isn't by their own power or by their own holiness, but it's by the power of God that was in them and the holiness that comes with it when God comes in. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Verse 13. The God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his son Jesus, whom, what? Ye. Whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when Pilate was determined to let him go. Say, that's pretty bold, isn't it? Pretty bold. Verse 14, but ye denied the Holy One and the just. And you desired a murderer to be granted unto you. And you killed the Prince of Life, whom God, here it is, hath raised from the dead, whereof we are what? That's the proof. The raising of Jesus Christ from the dead is the greatness of Christianity. Without the resurrection, we have nothing, but with the resurrection, we have everything. For if God raised him from the dead, then we can be born again of God's Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, operate the manifestations of the Spirit, and the proof that God raised him from the dead for the individual believer is the operation of the manifestations in concretion. That's it. They're just telling me we got just a minute or two before we go off the broadcast for tonight. Sorry, you're gonna, you good people are going to miss the cream of this particular lesson, but You've had a wonderful lot of the Word of God tonight by our testimony of John as he spoke to you and some of the things that we were singing and the prayers that you've heard. And people, you're listening to this broadcast tonight. I thank God for you and I want you to gel the greatness of God's Word and believe God's Word. Don't get talked out of it. I tell you, God's Word is God's will and it means what it says. You don't have to listen to the unbelief of the neighbor or some leader who doesn't believe God's word. You take that word and read it for yourself, and you believe what it says, and you'll see signs and miracles and wonders in your life. Have a good week always. God raised from the dead whereof we are witnesses, and his name, true faith in his name. The word true is upon, the word faith, believing, which we're going to work out in that special week of studies in the summer school when we take up the word pistis, the word faith, and the word believing through the whole Bible. And his name, upon believing in his name, hath made this man what? Strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith, here's the word faith, which is by him, or on account of him, Jesus Christ, he hath given this man, given him, this perfect what? Sound. The word soundness is holy. In the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I want, I know, that through ignorance, you crucified Jesus. You did it. As did your rulers. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he hath so what? Repent ye therefore, and be what? Converted.
Repent and be converted. You know, it's remarkable. He doesn't say repent of your sins, isn't it? Doesn't say that at all. Because to repent is not to repent of your sins. It's not a confession of sin. Repentance is confession of the Savior from sin, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom God raised from the dead. Because when you repent, then you're converted, and look what it then does to you. That at that time, when you repent and you're converted, what happens to your sin? doesn't say repent of your sins. It says repent, get converted, and then something happens to your sins. Sins may be what? Out and out. This is what I told you early tonight would be coming up. Totally cleansed is the text. Washed away is another usage of these words that could be used accurately from the text. Your sins may be totally cleansed, totally washed away. When the time of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, and he shall send Christ Jesus, I believe is the text which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive, the word receive is subjectively, until the time of what? Where is Jesus Christ then? In heaven where it says, until the time of restitution of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy apostles since the world was. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your, what? Like unto me, Moses. Him, talking about Jesus Christ, shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul, every person, which will not hear that prophet, shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea. And all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken. Spoken about what? About Christ, his coming. Have likewise foretold of these what? Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant with, which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first. After Pentecost, first after Pentecost, God, having raised up his son, Jesus, sent him to us, bless you, first after Pentecost, in turning away every one of you from his what? And as they spake unto the people, look what happened. The priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. That's what they were keyed off of. That they preached the resurrection. That's it. You talk about the resurrection of people today, and that in that resurrection you have remission, Forgiveness of sins, you have the power of the Holy Spirit, the new birth, everything's wrapped up in it. And again, they look at you like you're out in left field someplace. Well, that didn't deter the early apostles. 
Their looks never killed anybody. They just kept on speaking the word. That's right. So here in verse 3, you have the laying on of hands. They laid hands on them and put them in hold in prison. They seized them or arrested them, put them in prison until the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit, verse 4, yet but many of them which heard the word, what? Believed. Isn't that wonderful? What did they hear? The word. That's the key to believing. Wow. Without people hearing the word, they can't believe the word. And we're living in a day and hour when they're talking about hearing the word and hardly anybody hears it. Because it's not being given out. Really, it isn't the word. It's somebody's opinion, somebody's idea, somebody's ideology or theology or something else. It's not the word. They took Peter and John and threw them in jail. But people had heard the word, and having heard the word, they believed that word. And the number of men that believed hearing that word were what? About 5,000. If you can add that 5 to the 3 on the day of Pentecost, we've got a pretty good-sized denomination roll. No, we got a pretty good church roll. 8,000 people. 8,000. Besides the Jewish, of course, the men were but women, I would say three to four in the majority in the average church you, you minister or you visit. Men are golfing, doing something else, getting feed off on something. But, uh, in the early church, if this is right, and I'm sure it is from their culture, that would mean 8,000 men and certainly that many women. Well, now, what made it possible for this to happen? First of all, the apostles were at the place where they got born again and filled with the Holy Spirit. These apostles spoke in tongues, it says. These apostles boldly witnessed to the resurrection. They were witnesses, eyewitnesses, not defense attorneys. They were witnesses. They simply declared what God had wrought for them and what God had accomplished. And then they spoke the word of God with boldness. And when they had an opportunity to minister, they ministered it so that signs, miracles, and wonders happened. And the people who gladly received the word were born again, 3,000, 5,000. But it's all dependent upon the accuracy and the presentation of that word. People, I've read this thing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. Every time I read it or every time I teach it, my old heart just thrills at the immensity and the greatness of it. Because right at the center of this is our Christ Jesus, the resurrected one, and the bold declaring of that word of God, which is the resurrection. And the fullness of the power of God that came with it. Man, that just thrills the heart, doesn't it? To realize that the ineffable greatness of his word is so tremendous that we should just take the time 
to learn the accuracy of that word. So that we first have it ourselves, then secondly, we can give it away. You can't give anything you haven't bought. What's more important in life than to get a knowledge of God's really and act? You say, well, I gotta work. Huh. Would you? If you broke your leg in an automobile accident, how would you go to work tomorrow morning? Try. I'm not advocating any accidents, you know. Not talked about, but I'm simply trying to get you to think logically so when you meet up with the arguments, you give them both barrels on the word and keep them honest. Because the average person is never honest. Get time for God's word when everything else in life is over with. And he says, well, maybe I ought to look at it just before I die. But if there is anything to it, I want to be sure I at least have a little opportunity of maybe making. Why not learn the word of God right now? Why not bring somebody new with you next Sunday night to the headquarters here to hear the word? Why not get some of the old Way grads who cold and cucumbers warmed up a little bit. Put a little fire of the word under him and say, look, the word of God says you're to stand with the man who taught you the word. That's it. Galatians. So either come back on the word of God or get moving. Do something with him. In other words, get him back on the greatness of God's word. Well, I can tell you something. They ain't doing anything out there. Not no, no fish in that crazy pond where they're fishing. It's only in the fellowship and the walk together, in the unity of the first church, where they had things in common, were in fellowship, breaking bread, praising God together, praying together, is where the work was done. This is why it's a great word. People, nothing is any more wonderful than the greatness of these words. This word we have not because of our own power or our own holiness, but we have it because of the power of Christ that's made available because of his resurrection.